Welcome to the Lawn and Garden Podcast with University of Wyoming Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and co-host Jerry Urshabek. Originally aired on KGOS and KERM in Torrington, join Jeff, Jerry, and their special guests as they talk all things gardening in Wyoming. Our Lawn and Garden Podcast helps you improve your home garden or small acreage. Good morning, everybody. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Irshebeck for the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. And today we have with us Tom John McCreary, and we will be discussing lawn and garden and raised beds and growing all sorts of good stuff. But right now we'll take a few moments and listen to our sponsors and we'll be back in a bit. Hey folks, are you a first time gardener and lacking a little bit in the green thumb area? The Sensible Nutrition Program and UW Extension are excited to share gardening resources and tips. Learn how to get started, choose seeds and trees from Wyoming's climate, and plan your landscape. Go to uwyocmp.org backslash gardening for sensible gardening and food growing tips. Good luck and green thumbs. Okay, we're back. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshabek for the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. As I mentioned, our guest today is Tom John Mercury. Good morning, Tom John. How are you doing? Good morning. How are you, Jeff? Good. We're, we're glad to have you with us today. What crazy weather we've had this week, right? Uh, the wind, I'm really tired of it. I'm sure everybody <laughs> is. We got a nice eight-tenths of an inch last night. I, I, think the, and, I think the whole state of Wyoming has seen every bit of weather that we possibly could, from snow to hail and closed roads even this time of year. Well, and Larry, Bob Beck was driving to work this morning, Wyoming Public Radio, and he had a tough time getting to work because all the branches were down in Laramie. I think. Yeah, yep. Power outages everywhere. and But I think you're right. I think it's time to have a break from the wind. Uh, yeah, I'm over it. <laughs> Jerry, how are you feeling about the wind? We uh, were playing cards Saturday. Outside? In the gust. No. <laughs> but we had the bathroom window open, and it made the door close so hard the bathroom door closed so hard, I thought it was going to go the other way through. <laughs> it scared all of us. So, yeah, it it, uh, it begs the song. Oh, the weather outside is frightful. Right. Man, oh, man, oh, man. Yeah, there's there's we, been some challenges. Uh, you know, and it's pretty tough on new garden plants if they're germinating and those types of things. The wind will just shear them right off. Well, in particular... I had two pumpkins set out. Wait a minute. It's too early in the program to start talking about pumpkins. <laughs> but we're talking about wind shear. Oh, okay. And, and one of the pumpkins sheared off. At the ground? At the ground level. And it's just so important to protect every plant against wind shear. That's why I was, I was curious about your high tunnel with your corn. Did that survive okay? Yeah, so we had a little bit of lodging because I have uh, roll-up sides on it that start about three feet off the ground. So the wind, even though it blew, it, it blew through and then some of the corn lodged. So, but uh, I'll get it propped back up. It'll be fine. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Again, still have sweet corn by the middle of July. Yeah. That's and then when I was with Holly, there were hybrids. The farmer, you know, like Pioneer and Garst and all those companies. And I'm not yep. picking on anybody. I can't remember which one. They bred them. They didn't have good stocks. 
they must yep. have read that out of them. And I saw lots of cornfields that would blow over. I mean, lots of problems. Yeah. So, Tom John, a lot of the uh, corn now is Roundup ready. I can't say that it all is. And with the Roundup ready technology, the lignin, the, the structural pieces that are in the corn is elevated. So a lot of that issue with lodging has basically gone away. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So just one of those things that is a artifact of having things resistant to Roundup. Exactly. <laughs> Excuse me, glyphosate. That's okay. We can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glyphosate. Soil. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, Tom, John, I know uh, as our guest today, you probably have a few things on your mind that you would like to talk about. So let's uh, let's go ahead and get started. Well, um, the first thing, when I took the Master Gardener course, we talked about companion crops. And so with the smaller gardeners I have now being in beds, I don't have a lot of room. So I have I want them to plant yellow beans and green beans in with my tomatoes. And I thought, Jeff, that they would do, since they're legumes and nitrogen fixers, Yes, they would put some nitrogen into the soil for the tomatoes. Am I, <laughs> is that so? So in my understanding of this, they will fix nitrogen for themselves and only release it if there's excess the following year. <laughs> oh, okay. So, but it won't hurt the tomatoes, will it? If I I planted them quite a ways apart, so no, I don't. I don't think it'll it'll uh, it'll hurt the tomatoes. It won't be detrimental. And you know, tomatoes will take almost any amount of phosphorus you can dump on them uh, okay. to help them to help them fruit. Mm -hmm. Now, what about magnesium as well? Because I'm hearing a lot of people are putting Epsom salt around their tomatoes. You know, now, our, thought, our, our, our promotion this year talked about manganese, right? Well. So magnesium is the, in the same category. It's a micronutrient that right? we normally are not deficit uh, of in our soils. Well, my brother-in-law is just touting the crap out of Epsom salt on his tomatoes. And How much is it, Jerry? Uh, I'm not sure. He just says you put it around the tomato and kind of work it in every so often. Uh -huh. uh, no, I understand that as humans, you can use Epsom salt and soak your feet in it. That's all he's doing is soaking the roots in it, right? Soaking the roots, yep. <laughs> or soaking your body, you know. My, yeah. my wife likes Epsom salt bath, yeah. So I don't know how much magnesium is actually in Epsom salt on a percentage basis, but I do know that if you are not careful, if you continue to do stuff like that, you can actually go the other way. Right. And and if those micronutrients are at, let's say, macro levels, then it will become toxic to the plant. So it's one of the things that you have to find a balance for. And as we've spoken about on other programs, we need to do a soil nutrient test and understand what we need and what we don't have. And if we need magnesium, <laughs> then Epsom salt might be a good way to get it there. But don't you agree that Epsom salt is still a salt? Uh, yeah, and or what are you getting at? Salt is bad? Salt is bad on a lot of plants if you put it too much on it. There's some people that have that old remedy of mixing salt and liquid soap and, and spraying it on their plants in an attempt to kill their weeds. Sure, but if you think about it, fertilizer is also salt, right? Okay. 
I didn't realize that. Okay. Right, Tom John? You can come you can you can get into yeah, this yeah. conversation. I mean, I, I didn't know it had a lot of salt in it, but it makes sense. Well, it. it's not it's not table salt. Sodium chloride is not included in in fertilizer, but it is uh, you know, it's ions and cations and all of that has to do with what is salt, right? This this conversation's getting way too deep. <laughs> it's all about the science, you know. But that's okay, right? We need those every once in a while. Oh, oh what was that? What was that? What was that? Uh, um, you know what? We got to see a small, and I'm talking a small praying mantis over the past weekend, and. We found it on a geranium. We found one on our cat. We found one on Myrna's arm, and we found one on her geraniums. Okay. And I'm like, man, I, I'm telling you, the, about the size of a pencil lead length. If you sharpen a pencil and and a, that size of lead, really small. I so, had to look twice. So probably freshly hatched. Freshly hatched. First or second instar, um, and really cool to have around, and it's neat that you were able to see them. Were they a uh, particular color? Green. Green. Okay, so those are going to be the big Carolinian mantids that uh, people have uh, oh, good. released and imported and those types of things. And so those, those little tiny guys are probably eating aphids or thrips or those smaller insects that they are finding. Don't worry about them biting you or your cat or. Oh no, 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 no. I like them. <laughs> yeah. I like oh, yeah. them. They're, they're really cool to have around. And what's interesting to me is as they get bigger, they actually, if you, if you find them in the field, they actually will track you. I mean, you can see that they are watching you and you know, they're very visual hunters and uh, they're kind of fun to have around. Yeah. And that was just off of one Uthika batch that we bought from the greenhouse. Very good pronunciation, Jerry. Thank you so much. I've been practicing. <laughs> so, Tom, John. Yes. You said that you like to do stuff with your tomatoes. Uh, I've I've kind of heard that basil and cilantro go well with your tomatoes as a companion. Um, I I don't do cilantro, but I've got a lot of basil and I've got parsley, and it's intensive gardening from the standpoint that I used to have eight beds. You know, uh, four by eight garden beds. Okay, and yeah. I have three. And so I have radishes and lots of greens, little bunch lettuce I just planted. And it, it is way fun because there's enough for us and the neighbors as well. Well, you and it's really, it's really easy to weed that way too, isn't it, Tom John? Oh, you just go by and pick the weed. <laughs> yeah, I don't have, use a hoe. I've got a little cultivator tool, you know. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it doesn't take much. Um so it's uh it's kind of nice to be able to walk out and manage those weeds pretty effectively, pretty easily and, uh -huh. and be done with it. Now Jeff, you I got cover? this really dark black soil. Pardon me. I got this really dark black soil that was in the beds. Yes. And I've got plenty of sand around here. We live on uh, this area used to just be a sand pile. Sure. When I get sand, should I mix a little sand in with it? For drainage, um, you know, I would see how since this is your first year, first year, first season in the house, I uh, would I would see how productive it is, and I'm assuming that it's probably high in compost. And again, maybe you might want to 
do a soil analysis of that particular yeah uh, that's a great idea oil and, and try to understand what it is and and what it is that you'll need you know one of the other things caitlin our uh, soil scientist from the university of wyoming has mentioned that instead of totally in the fall instead of totally cleaning out all those beds it's okay to clip everything off but leave the roots i i notoriously just pull everything right yeah but uh, if you leave the roots in over the course of the winter, then you're allowing it to, moisture will be able to get in and, and you're adding organic matter and those types of things to those beds over the course of the winter too. So yeah, just one of those if things to think about. And if they're nitrogen fixers, legumes, then you'll add some, some material to your beds. So what, Hopefully, if everything's working correctly and you just cut the plants off, then as those roots of those legumes uh, deteriorate, you're actually allowing nitrogen to be available for next year's crop. So, yes, awesome. in theory. Mm -hmm. Jer Jerry, looks, you look confused, man. No, you know, I, I've always wondered about the nitrogen fixers because there's a lot of overwintering style of, of plants that you can put into your garden as a cover crop. And some of those are called nitrogen fixers. And so I was not aware of how that nitrogen was released and when it was released. So my understanding is that if you have an annual crop, it's fixing nitrogen for itself that year. And then if you're able to leave the root system behind, it will have some residual nitrogen still. That It creates little nodules. So the plant actually has a uh, communal relationship. Is it a bacterium that, that it has yeah. that relationship with, Tom John? Yeah. 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 So, so um, the bacterium helps fix the nitrogen for the plant. Right. And then, so I don't know if you've ever bought peas and it comes with inoculum. Jerry, have you ever had oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. So that inoculum is the bacteria that helps the pea family plant fix nitrogen. So you're, you're kind of flooding the system to help that plant fix more nitrogen. So that's what that little packet of inoculum is. So sometimes when you purchase plants and, and try to grow them and those types of things, it, it helps that plant uh -huh. fix nitrogen more efficiently, right? Right. Yeah, because I was going to plant white clover, because we've talked about that white clover, and then plant my tomatoes inside of it, because I thought, like Tom John was going to do with his beans, and have better tomatoes. But I think all so, it's going to do is keep the weeds away. Well, that's part of it. So um, the white clover is not everybody's lawn clover. We're talking about a white clover that's New Zealand white clover, and it can grow to be fairly tall. Um, and yes, it is a nitrogen fixer, but it's also a perennial crop. So I think in those types of situations, it's not only it, after it becomes established, it's not only fixing nitrogen for itself, but it can, other plants can access the nitrogen that has been fixed. There we go. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, that's just my own personal theory. I could be totally wrong. <laughs> well, we're anticipating that anybody listening is going to correct us if we get too off, off beat. That's right. And, and I'm willing to admit it. I, you know, it's just one of those things how I think I, uh, how things work, but I could be totally wrong, <laughs> which has happened before. <laughs> Maybe once. <laughs> what do you do with your uh, onions? You, you, you've explained this to me. I, I planted like 10 red onion set 
And you told me what to do, but I'll let you explain it. What you so do? What I do with my onions is I plant them in a in a four rows, but I plant them eight inches apart, and that way uh -huh. my knee can get into the middle of the row, and I can yeah. weed them easily. Uh huh. And then, you know, it's just one of those kind of things. You just keep the weeds out of it. We had a section of the garden that we left grow for just a little bit, and we had a lot of sunflowers in there. And we just got, Myrna bought a new weed eater, and she weed-eated all of the sunflowers, and I gathered up all this, the, the trash and put them in my onion rows. But oh, okay. uh, I use onion plants. I've never done much with the sets. Uh -huh. So I always do the onion plants, and then as they grow, you just take your finger and flick the dirt away from the bulb. Okay. Now, do you bend them like uh, the growing part, the tops? Do you bend those over? They fall on their own. Okay. So once once they once they get to their bulbous state, uh -huh. and they're going to be you know onions. Uh, their tops will fall over already. Oh, okay. And if they start to flower, I nip that off, just like you do with the garlic. Oh, okay, sure. And the, the I, garlic I, is called scapes. Right. And Jeff does a lot with garlic scapes. Uh -huh. Pesto. It's just about pesto season. Garlic scape yeah. pesto. It's yes. getting closer. Yeah, probably next week, maybe within the next 10 days. So it's Now, uh, your garlic is much further along than mine. Oh and really? They're they're pretty tall. I, I would say they're about a foot about this tall. Yeah, this uh, is radio, Jerry. Everybody can see how tall that is. <laughs> and and the smell is just so pungent. Uh, yeah. But I think that they're probably about 12, 14 inches high already, and and uh, okay. they're looking really good. Sounds uh, awesome. We but, don't uh, go ahead. Anything you can put in between your onions and keep the weeds away is a good thing. Yeah. So, Jerry, that eight inches, is that on a eight-inch square grid, or is it eight-inch rows apart plus eight inches between plants? Eight inches uh, between rows. Now, I plant the uh, onions ab about four to five inches apart, about okay. the size of my fist. Okay. Yeah, okay. that looks like about like four to five inches. Yeah, four to yeah, five inches. Does. And the reason That's that you do really small fist. <laughs> <laughs> The reason that you do that is so that those bulbs can form, right? Can form and spread out, yeah. yeah. And if you want little greens for your salads and that sort of thing, if you've planted too close, you just pull them out and clean them up and put them in your salad. They're really delicious. Yeah, I've got chives, too, and they're milder. Oh, yeah, chives are much milder. Yeah. And they can... You know, I really like garlic, but I am not a fan of onions. I don't care if it's chives or uh, I just, I am not a big liker of things in the onion family realm. I'll be darned. That's interesting. I'll I... eat them cooked. I don't like them raw at all. Oh, I, <laughs> onions are the best things ever. <laughs> and my, my mom thinks that, 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 they're sent from heaven. She eats them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> my uncle can, and it has to be a sweet onion, all right, but he can eat an onion like an apple. And I'm like, oh, Uncle Gene, how can you do that? He, uh, he, can, he can chew them down. Wow. Well, the Walla Wallas and, uh, are really good sweet onions. Yep. You know, just you, usually. <laughs> usually. Yeah. There could be a bad one in the bunch. Yeah. yeah. So, Tom, John, what other things you got going on in your – well, 
Uh, yeah, let's uh, do this a couple more minutes. Um, what other things do you have growing in your beds? I've got carrots. I've got two peppers. I didn't plant any hot ones because I like the sweet ones. I love hot stuff, but and maybe next year. And then I've got six, seven, eight, nine tomato plants. I ran out of room, so I planted some in the alley. You, you only need four tomato plants. <laughs> <laughs> I plant for hail. <laughs> you know? Well, what about wilt and, and in-root rod and all that kind of stuff? Well, you only need four tomato plants. Okay. <laughs> so just in case, when a tomato starts to, to frizzle up and how the ends curl up, it's always been advised to me is to yank them out. Get rid of it. Get rid of them. Yep. If it doesn't look healthy, the other the other test for that is if you cut a leaf off and the the plant oozes and it's not clear, that could be some type of blight bacterial infection. So just pull it and get rid of it. Get it out of the garden. Do what you need to to get it away from your property. Those types of things. Don't throw it in your neighbor's yard who has tomatoes. <laughs> um, I, I think earlier, Jer, uh, Jerry, you had uh, you had a question about carrots. You wanted that I didn't. Oh yeah, uh, you alluded to the fact that your dog liked carrots, but you didn't give us the tips. So Diane and I struggled for years with uh, to try to get carrots to grow. And uh, Jerry Simonson used to say, once you plant your carrots, throw a flat board over the top of them, water them really well, and then throw a flat board over the top of them, primarily just to maintain the moisture of those little tiny seeds so that they don't dry out and germinate. So carrot seeds and grass seeds are pretty much the same size to me, I think. (laughs) They're really small. So um, it's important that the soil doesn't dry out And then those seeds dry out because if they do, then they'll die. And so our trick is uh, we grow them in a raised bed and then plant them and then cover, water it, and then plant that raised bed, excuse me, cover it with a uh, sheet of plastic uh, like we use on the uh, high tunnel or hoop house. So it makes its own little um, terrarium or herbarium or whatever you want to call it. And it keeps the humidity up and it has to stay on there, there for almost 20 days. But check it, water it, and you'll start to see them germinating. And then after they germinate, still leave the, the cover on, but put something in underneath their sticks or um, uh, label markers or those types of things to hold that plastic up just a little bit so it's not resting directly on the plants and they can continue to grow. And, and uh, But we've had really good luck in the high tunnel with carrots. And so right now is we've just started harvesting carrots. Awesome. Yeah. Do you ever yeah. plant radishes along with your carrots? Oh, the radishes have been done for about three weeks. Uh, <laughs> now, I'm, I'm like you with radishes like you are with onions. Oh, really? I care less for a radish. <laughs> radishes, rutabagas. Oh, I don't mind rutabagas. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's funny the things that we like, right? Or oh, absolutely. Like. Yeah. I have a coworker who just, he, he could, he, every time we talk about gardening, he's, oh, I just can't stand broccoli, you know? So I have to harass him about not liking broccoli. <laughs> yeah. So my neighbor will say something like, oh, I don't like this or I don't like that. And Myrna says, you've been eating it for the last five years. <laughs> he goes, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. I didn't like it when I was a kid. 
So I'm not eating it now as an adult. Not eating it now. Hey, so um, I think it's about time to take a break and uh, listen to our sponsors, and we'll be back in a minute. You are listening to the Lawn and Garden Podcast, presented by University of Wyoming Extension, extending the land-grant mission across the state of Wyoming with a wide variety of educational programs and services. Visit us at yoextension.org. Starting May 18th, some University of Wyoming Extension offices will be open to the public. Contact your local office to learn about your county's variances for COVID-19 restrictions. Even if your county remains closed, you can always contact your local educator by phone or email. Go to yoextension.org to find your county's contact information. We're back. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Yershebeck on the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. Our guest today is Tom John McCreary, and uh, we've been spending some time talking about gardening and what we're planting in raised beds and how to get some things to grow. And I think Tom John wanted to spend a little bit more time talking about carrots. Well, in my old beds at the other house, the soil type was such that those carrots would sprangle. They, you know, the roots would run out two directions. And in my raised beds that I have here, I can tell already that they're not doing that. I'm going to get carrots that look like carrots and not, <laughs> and not being sprangled. For know. the first time ever. Um, yeah. So that sprangling can be tied to a lot of different things, right? You, didn't you used to see that possibly in sugar beets? Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and a lot of the times that was tied to um, nematodes, wasn't it? Could have been. But so nematodes it, are little, they look like little furry potatoes when they get nematodes really bad. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Right. I'm not saying they wouldn't sprangle because they do that as well. Okay. But uh, man, you could pull a beat and tell immediately, you can't see nematodes with the right. eye, but man, you, the, what it does to the root is just, you know. So the beet would just send out a bunch of little tiny root hairs and be really yeah, fun. Yeah, and just tons yeah. of them. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, I always thought that nematodes might cause that in carrots, but I could be mistaken. No, no, I, I think it's uh, well possible. I, I think with any crop, tomatoes, no matter what you're growing in your garden, a rotation is really important so you oh, can yeah. some of those situations. You have yeah. to be careful. I used to grow all my own tomatoes, and um, I made sure that I had good soils because sometimes when you get them at the greenhouse, you're importing some nasty stuff, <laughs> and not their fault. We, when yeah. I was at the university, we, I, I worked at the plant science greenhouse, and we used to cook the soil. We had this huge, I think it was probably four by eight heater, and we'd get that soil up to temperature where it'd kill. But then you kill all your healthy organisms too. So I don't, I don't know if that's. Uh, um, well, did you autoclave it when you worked for the UW? No, it was just a, a just a big heater. A bottom in it. We added sand and soil and what else? Something else. Um, oh, peat moss. Oh, okay. And then we cook it in this. It didn't smell real good. I, you know. <laughs> I'm sure it didn't taste really good either. <laughs> I wanted to. But it was, and it really did help as far as um, soil organisms that were undesirable, like nematodes and stuff. Sure. But we did that every spring because we had a lot of potting to do. And yeah. 
know, you know it's diseases and those types of things can come in anywhere. Um, it's yeah. just kind of kind of odd. This is the first year that I tried grafted tomatoes. Oh, uh, cool. So I, I think they're doing great. Of course, they take a rootstock from one type of tomato and graft on the desirable type of fruiting stock to it. And one of those that we picked out, its leaves have always looked kind of funky. So uh-huh. I'm, I'm watching it. And when I prune on it, I don't prune on the others. So I'm keeping it isolated that way and making sure that I'm not contaminating. If it is contaminated, I don't know. Maybe it is just a different looking plant. But yeah. it doesn't look like a normal healthy tomato to me. But it's growing. It's more and, like a potato, doesn't it? Um, Does it no. look like that? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. You know, I think there was um, uh, a variety of tomato potato plant several oh, years yeah. ago where they grafted the tomato top on the bottom of a potato plant. And, exactly. Uh-huh. And, and neither one of them produced. <laughs> but those plants are those plants are all related. They're, but so yeah. I could see where it would work if you had the right combo. But it, it, what is fun about this, you guys, is the, the experimentation. I, I mean, it's not always going to work out like, but the uh, trying things like that is part of the fun of gardening. Yeah, you know? yeah. Don't you think? What's disappointing, though is when you have the picture on the seed envelope and it's just voluptuous uh-huh. and you look at your, your own plant and you go, dang, that just doesn't measure up. Uh-huh. And I know they take the picture of the best of the best, but sometimes it's a little disappointing, but I agree. It's, it's the experimentation that makes a lot of this fun. I, I yeah. really dislike when somebody says you can't do that. You can do it. It may not be appropriate, and you may have some trouble along the way. Uh, well, that's the whole point. You can still yeah. do it. So, and that's, you know, that's, uh, I've learned when I give presentations to master gardeners that you shouldn't tell them you can't do that because somebody in the crowd will say, uh, I'm growing that on my property. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's just one of those things. Everybody does their own little experimentation and what works for you might not work for somebody else. And the neat thing about gardening is that, okay, so something didn't work out this year. So try something new next year. But, you know, at least it's, uh, it, it's not a really expensive hobby to get started and you're not out a lot of money if you have a big failure. So, uh, yeah. but if you, if you have success, you are able to feed yourself and your family and, and go on. Or if you're looking at pretty things, iris is also one of the probably the easiest things to get into for a, for a beginning gardener. They say that iris is so forgiving, you can ignore it. My brother took some iris from, from Guernsey, from my other brother, and drove it home to Houston, to Austin, Texas, left it in the garage for... Well, I don't know, six, seven months, and then planted it, and they bloomed. <laughs> so you can really, you can really abuse iris. That is abusive. It really is. <laughs> now we talked about companion planting. Uh, I found that it, the little white daisies and iris are real pretty. My neighbor gave me about two hundred dollars worth of hens and chicks, so I I made a new planting of of Siberian iris and hens and chicks. So nice. we'll see how that comes around. So there are companion plantings for beauty, as you've mentioned, and companion plantings to help plants. 
help each other grow better. So there are there can be relationships between these plants so that they're more productive or help the other one survive or repel insects or those types of things. Well, a most- relationship, it's like some flowers need ants to flower. And I can't remember the name of them. Peony. Um, well, peonies. Yeah, um, that's right. It's it's not a requirement, but they seem to have increased number of blossoms if the ants are there. So it's just one of those. And the ants are uh, feeding on the material that the flower is giving off. So it's a mutualistic relationship. They both benefit from what's happening. Right, right. Very good. Yeah. So uh, roses and geraniums and or chives, the strong odor that is kind of emitted will help you get rid of aphids. Chamomile and cabbage, tomatoes, basil and cilantro, lettuce and chives or garlic. I don't know this one. Calendura and broccoli. Have you ever heard of that one? Say it again. C-A-L-E-N-D-U-L-A. Calendula? And broccoli. Hmm. I don't know what that is. Yeah. And they said carrots, carrots and radishes. Oh, cool. You're going to find this interesting. Uh, I read this someplace. Uh, the uh, cilantro, it tastes like soap to me. <laughs> Genetically, <laughs> and they say that a lot, for some people, it does. Speaking you know? of things we don't like. <laughs> right. Well, it's not that I don't like it, Jeff. If, if I had just a little bit, you know, in uh-huh. Mexican food or whatever you're fixing, it's A-OK, but boy, you get too much on it tastes like soap. There's there's a there's a threshold, right? It's a it's a gradient. It's good, 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 and then all of a sudden, so <laughs> a lot of people put uh, cilantro in their guacamole. So, Tom John, if you ever start appearing with green under your arms, we're, we're going to know that you have guacamole soap. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, so Jerry, what do you got going on in your garden? Well, the iris, again, and then if you if you want to take some iris and move them, it's best to do that after they've bloomed, but you don't have to. But if you're looking for just a little little piece of iris to, you know, to get from a friend, uh, you want a little five or six fan, a five or six leaf fan to, to be able to transport that and then to replant it. A lot of people, once they have an iris bed, they let it go and they don't dig it up and break it apart. And sometimes that big, that circle gets to be so big that the center starts to die out of it. Now, my friend Jan Long said, you can take a potato fork and stick it into the inside dead ring area and lift up and break that dead portion around and then might buy you some time. Mm. I try to take the ends of that and make a, a line. So if I'm, if I've got a dead circle, I'll cut them in half and try to push it so that now they're kind of in a row. Okay. Uh, but yeah. So you were, you were talking earlier about tormenting irises. I think uh, the best abuse you could give it is try to transplant it when it's blooming. Oh yeah. But <laughs> you know, it'll, it'll hurt it, but it'll sure. come back the next year easy enough. Sure. So, and the odd thing is about, so it's a tuber or a rhizome, I believe. I get them confused. But 
you don't plant it. You just basically throw it out on the soil of the surf, uh, surface of the soil and maybe put a little bit of dirt on it, but don't, it, it's okay if it's out. It's yeah. probably better if it's out. So it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't need a whole lot of TLC. No, it does not. And I found an orange copper iris. A friend of mine had given me one and I said, hey, I finally had that bloom. They go, hey, yeah, way to go. And I didn't have anything to do with it. I just watered it and kept it in the garden. Yeah, I babied it. <laughs> I babied it. A, a friend of mine was talking about ants. Okay. Ants, ants in particular. And they were starting to come in his house. And I, I said that there's usually a scent trail. Isn't that true? That is that correct. An ant will follow. Yep. And we talked about vinegar. We talked about ant bait traps. And what else could we talk about ants? So ants are in the same family as wasps and bees. And all of those insects are either looking for a carbohydrate source or a protein source. Okay. So ant baits come in different varieties. And usually they are gel-based. And that would be the carbohydrate, so a sugary substance. Or they're a solid base. And that would be the protein-based bait. And so depending on the time of year and what's happening in that nest depends on what type of bait they will actually be attracted to. So you might want to try both types. So the ants give off formic acid, which is what is that trail is left behind and so that the others can find it. Vinegar will help disrupt that, but you need to scrub a long bit of it. But eventually, because there are some at the food source, they will still get back to where they were getting to or going to or coming from, those types of things. Baits are probably the easiest things to put around because they're in little stations and you don't have to worry about them, but you have to be able to monitor them to make sure that there's still food or bait in them. So it's, yeah. a, bait, it's a bait material and there's usually some type of toxic material in there as well. Yeah, to, keep them away from your cats. Yeah, those little hockey puck things aren't to be played with. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but sanitation, yep. kill them, kill them, give them some bait so it takes it back to their their, yep. so, their colony. Uh, colony ants, or hive? It's a colony. Ants, colony. Share, ants share food. They feed each other. So as they go along back to the nest, they're meeting up with their nest mates and they will pass food and things back and forth. And so once they get back to the hive, then they'll, I did it. Back to the colony. <laughs> once, they get back to, once they get back to their colony, they will um, feed the immatures the material that they've collected. And if it's a bait that has a toxic material in it, then it will start to kill off the immatures in the colony. And then that colony will die. So Myrna asked, how many ants are in a, like a red ant pile? You know, the, the nice big red ants. You want, About you how want many? The, do you want to hear the entomological answer to that? Yeah. All As of them. many, all of them. <laughs> uh, so, so the ant colonies can vary in size. Of course, they start off with two, a mating pair. And depending how long they've been there, it could be millions. So it's just kind of a crazy type of thing. And it depends on the ants too, right? So the, the big red harvester ants, those types of questions would be for a uh, individual. His name is A.O. Wilson. He was an ant specialist and has wrote many books about ants. <laughs> you know, well, it's just You're like writing me. them down, aren't you? Actually, yeah. I might have a 
I might have a book in my bookshelf that I can let her read. I'll have to look for it. <laughs> you know, it's just like bees. When I first was introduced to the internet, I looked up bees and man, there's a lot about bees. And I looked up about two and a half hours later and I'm like going, oh my gosh, this was interesting, <laughs> but I don't know if I could spend my life doing this. And, you know, computers have gone on to educate and to waste people's time and the whole gamut. Yes. Yes, they oh, have. <laughs> they have. So, hey, Tom. I, I wanted to tell you something. I put bird feeders a lot of them out this year. And I got Oreos. At my yeah. House. Have you ever had Oreos at your house? Yeah. They're oh, called yeah. Bullock Oreos. Yeah. That we get They're around beautiful. here. Do you, do you feed them grape jelly? Yes. Well, that's what a friend of mine did. He fed them grape jelly and he liked oranges. Yep. Yeah. And I did the oranges. Next year, I'll do the grape jelly. Yeah, so so we actually have an Oreo feeder that we picked up some other place that we lived, and um, mm -hmm. it's it's uh, made out of copper, and it's got these pegs that we can put oranges on, and it actually has a cup, a glass cup that we put grape jelly in, and the Bullock's Orioles will come feed, and also the Kingbirds will feed on uh, oranges yeah. as well. Yeah, it was. I know that's kind of off the subject, but I was just thrilled with the number of birds and different species I had this year. Uh, Tom, John, anything's game on this radio show. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you plant a hummingbird bush, you'll get hummingbirds. You'll also get hummingbirds coming to a canna lily, and because uh, usually the red ones, they're attracted to red for some reason. I'm not sure why. But uh, you always buy the, the hummingbird syrup in, and it's, it always comes with a red dye. And, but, yeah, they're, they're wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, hummingbirds are one of my favorites as well. And in Wyoming, are the Orioles gone now, you guys? Are the Orioles gone? Yeah, I haven't seen one for a period of time. So the Orioles um, actually nest around my house, and they, are, uh, they build – nests that are woven that actually hang down from the tree so uh they're they're teardrop shaped and if uh if there's baling twine around it's usually in one of those nests but we we have several around still oh very good and of yeah, course we've had raptors, the hawks and the and the birds of prey are awesome way fun to watch and turkey buzzards yeah the buzzard population that circles torrington oh yeah <laughs> I think they're trying to tell us something. Tom, we have a we have a some kind of a hawk that lives in one of the tallest trees just to the west of us. And every so often there will be like about ten or twelve blackbirds following this hawk, just chipping away at him. And oh. you know, it's so interesting that this hawk could turn around and just kind of claw him or claw him out of the sky or peck him or bite him. But uh -huh. All these little birds are just chasing this hawk. Yeah, I've seen the same thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, we like to look forward to, to seeing that as well. Okay, gentlemen, I think we're getting close to uh, our time. Is there anything else that we are aware of that's happening in the community that we need to talk about, Jerry? Well, I think that this is a good time to talk about grubs. I think if your lawn looks like it's dead and dying, and Tom, John, you said that you had a neighbor that had a lawn that was, was grubby. But I'm not sure it's grubs or whether it's a fungus from watering. I think maybe 
we've over overwatered a bit. I've got a spot in my lawn. I just and I don't know how how to tell which what the problem is. I have a suggestion. Take a take a large can like a number ten number ten can if you can find one. Oh, oh, you bet. Drive that into your soil about two inches down uh -huh. and fill it full of water. This is just one way to do this. And you can see if things float up, insects will float uh, to the surface. There could be um, larvae of white grubs in there. Okay. okay. That's okay. one way. The other way is to cut a square, go, go into your soil and grab a hold of the turf. And if it picks up loose, I had a professor that used to say that if it was stuck down like a bad toupee, if, if you can peel, if you can peel up the turf, it's highly likely that you have grubs underneath that. Okay. And do this. So don't do it in the middle of the dead spot. Do it in the spot where you have that transition zone between the dead area and the growing space. That's okay. where they would most likely be. Okay. Okay. Give it a try. Now, and, I will. I'll give it a try. And doesn't fungus, doesn't fungus, you pull up on the grass and it comes up easy? So it will, but if it's, if it's um, grubs, the, you will get up underneath. There will be some root matter that you'll pull up. Oh, too. yeah. The, the fungus uh, portion, you'll just pull up the turf that's on top, uh, just the leaves. You won't get the roots to go with it. Well, so, if, if you've got raccoons, they just love grubs. They'll dig up your dang lawn. Yeah, if you have raccoons, they'll find the grubs before you. <laughs> well, you don't have to treat them. <laughs> Rototiller. Right. There you go, Jerry. Yeah. Rototilling. <laughs> so, so uh, the voles, with uh, the V with a uh, victory, voles. Voles. Yes. They're the ones that like grubs, correct? No. No. Moles. Moles. With, with an M. Moles. Voles. Voles with a V are plant feeders. Moles with an M are insect and worm feeders. Moles, meat. There you go. Voles, vegetarian. Yes. All right. I got it now. Okay. Word association. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Hey, I want to tell you guys before we uh, go off how much I enjoy this. It's, it's way fun being on the show. Well, we appreciate you being here, Tom John, and we will have you again sometime. Probably uh, we'll be rolling through our guests before the end of the year, so I'm sure you'll be on again. Well, tell me when the horticulturalist is on again, because I would really like to. I I learn things every time I'm on, so it's way fun. Okay, very good. We'll we'll try to keep you informed. All right, thank you. Okay, uh, thank you, Tom John. Thanks, thank Jeff. Thank you, Tom, John. Thank you both. Uh, glad you were here. Hope everybody enjoyed the program. We'll see you or be with you next week. You've been listening to the Lawn and Garden Podcast. For episode transcripts and more tips on gardening, visit bit.ly slash UWE Horticulture. That's B-I-T dot L-Y backslash capital U-W-E lowercase horticulture.